0: Gone to the dogs: Your fortnightly dose of greyhound racing interviews, insights, and a whole lot more, with your hosts Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson.
1: Welcome to episode twenty-nine of Gone to the Dogs. We're almost in the thirties. We're almost tipping over that middle-aged hill, uh, but twenty-nine we are on today. And of course, I'm Danny Jackson, and always joined by my co-pilot.
2: Joe Andrews, hello everybody. Is
1: thirty middle aged? Well, I feel like it now. I'm thirty five. Thirty
2: five. <laughs> sure. I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Who, who cares? That's a debate for another day. And not boring people on a podcast. Um, but let's, <laughs> let's go straight into the amazing winners we've had, Danny, over the last couple of weeks, because there's been some very, very impressive performances. Mm. The Winter Derby final we said was a fantastic and a worthy winner. Churchfield Sid. Some dog, isn't he?
1: He looked beaten by King Capaldi down the back, and then apparently he didn't know he was beaten because he just came back at him and won really, really well. Because we know is know him as a, a kind of out and out speedball, really from the off, and he was. Right early pace, and then he got yeah. headed, and then he's just shown such guts and determination to to round that final bend in front. And what the Richard Reese kennel have done with this lad is absolutely outstanding and he's he's a deserved winner of the winter derby i mean it was a stellar competition it's been the best one of the year so far in my opinion um and yeah we were we we were rewarded with a superb superb winner
2: we were indeed and we were also rewarded with a superb winner of the northern poppy derby clona curly 2823 um given plus 10 but wow this is a new superstar on the block isn't he?
1: Yeah. And I know that a few people have actually already backed him anti-post for the Derby after he'd won a couple of races over in Ireland as well, or at least been seen over in Ireland a couple of times. So uh, a couple of shrewdies out there have already decided that he could be one to be on, on the Greyhound Derby um, coming up, of course, later on this year. So Clona Curly was new in Curley, um, if you see that name over in Ireland. So I think it was. I think he was New In Curly for his first three or four races. Then he came over here and changed his name. So, yeah, if you see New In Curly, it's the same dog. And he, but not Savannah
2: Curly. So, uh, no. Obviously, someone got in there before Kevin bought him and renamed him again. Maybe I don't know. Or maybe he's not naming them all Savannah anymore.
1: No, because there's a couple of cloners about, isn't there?
2: Yeah, clone a Duke, obviously, but so I I maybe he got sold and then resold because obviously Kevin likes to 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 have the Savannah prefix. So uh, and Mm. you can only rename a dog once. So, Uh, but look, I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, you can only rename them once. Yeah, yeah, you can't Mm. if they've already been renamed. You can't do it again. Little fact for you. I don't know how big he was. I didn't see the weight sheet, and I could have should have gone back and looked. But he looks he looks a fairly big uh, big boy when he was galloping. But I was I was really impressed by, by him. Very very impressed. He um, looks like a star of the future and a star. And now was just one a Cat one Northern Puppy Derby. I don't know whether they'll go to Monmore for the for the Monmore Puppy Derby. But um, yeah, very very nice prospect.
1: 37 kilos
2: well there you go so he is he is a big boy i thought he i thought he looked like a big galloper and you know 480 meters at newcastle probably you know as a puppy probably not playing to his strength so really would be exciting over 500 at, at toaster because he looks a big mm. galloping sort so uh yeah we'll we'll see but kevin's got a nice one on his hands there that's for sure
1: Certainly does. So I want to keep an eye on and maybe uh, snap up the post on the derby as well. And we had another winner as well, didn't we, Joe?
2: Yeah, we did. We're recording this Monday morning, very bright and early uh, this week. But um, Saturday um, at Crayford, we saw a tremendous winner of the Golden Jacket, Dazzle Rolex, um, put in a great performance. He, he, he sees out that trip really well. He actually broke quite well. Um, he was just sat in behind the leader and you did think, you know, who was Havana Topno, who we know is a, a good stayer, but this trip maybe, you know, maybe stretches his stamina slightly. So when you saw Dazzle Rolex handy in second, you thought, you know, there's a big chance here and he, he indeed off the last bend, you know, powered home and went past Havana Topno um, and, and uh, you know, looks a really, really nice staying sort, had some good form in, in Ireland uh, before coming over. Um, for roger and, and tony the owners um he pipped lively lauren on the line in a in a maiden um just before the <laughs> just before it you know to show and, and they both ran a really good time there to show how good he was and um you know a really nice staying prospect for the future because he's not had many runs and you know relatively young dog up against some seasoned stayers there it was it was a good competition it was a really strong final so um you know one to be excited about as well for connections
1: and I think someone on this podcast might have backed him anti-post as well, Joe.
2: Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was—I uh, can't remember what. I think sixteens or fourteens, one of the two. So uh, yeah, I finally got one right, and I've backed a winner for the first time in in twenty years. But uh, as I said, you know, I was impressed. I was really impressed with him when he when he beat Lauren um, on on the line, um, and and he's an inexperienced dog. And if he can do that after a couple of runs over in in, in Britain um you know and we're not much experience in in ireland i just thought he was he was one of a bit of a bit of value and um he won comfortably in the end it was really mm. really
1: impressive he's a nice dog he is he is he certainly put himself on the map now dazzle rolex if he wasn't already on yours before uh today. Joe, i do know that there's maybe been a little bit of an update on lively savannah and the breeding experiment
2: there has, yeah. Not positive, unfortunately. I uh, oh. got the call at last weekend that um, she was coming along um, with a blood test not nicely last week, but, but she's not really progressed as well as we'd hoped. So it might be that it's a false season. It seems to have plateaued out, but we're, we're still hoping that this week... Um, she'll she'll have come forward and she's ready to mate. If not, she'll she'll come back and we'll we'll give it a go next time. So a little bit disappointing, but these are the the highs and lows of of uh, of breeding and, and trying to get pups. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully this time. Look, by the time this goes out on Friday, we'll probably know either way. So I'll, I'll certainly be be updating on on Twitter. And as usual, boring everyone. But um yeah, at the moment, it's just it's it's not not progressed as we'd
1: hoped. Well, fingers and toes crossed for lively Savannah, but uh, obviously there's plenty of chances in the future as uh, she's only a youngster. Right, Joe, I think that is it. So it's not it.
2: It's not it.
1: What else is going on?
2: I just wanted to give a shout out to um, Dave Branch, yeah, and uh, at Dave. At branch, Dave runs a load of tipping competitions. They're great. It's a it's a pool comp. You put money in. Um, some of the money goes to rehoming charity. Um, which is great and then there's obviously a prize pool for the top five usually depending on how many entrants there are so follow dave get involved in the competitions there's usually a whatsapp chat as well that goes along with them and they're, they're good fun um, raising money for a good course um, so get involved however in one of the chats for the competitions there's been a um, a charity raffle and some of the top breeders in ireland have kindly given up six puppies um, as part of a raffle to raise money for the late Pat Curtin and the, and the hospice um, that was, was dear to his and his family's heart. Now, it was £100 a ticket. So a load of us just put in put in some money to buy a number of tickets. Um, I think 80000 or nearly £80,000 was raised. So absolutely wow. incredible effort by everyone there. And then we found out yesterday, the draw was at Lifford, I believe, and we've, we've won a dog uh, we've won a pup. So I think there's about 14 of us that have won a pup, which is great news. We're all very excited. You should have seen the look on my wife's face when I told her I'd got to share in another greyhound. I wish I would have recorded it. Um, but that's not the end of the story. So there was about six pups, as I said, and I think four or five of them were, were greyhounds, racers, pups, bred. And one of them, or possibly two, were, were coursing bred greyhounds. <laughs> well, of course, all of us have, have won a coursing pup. Um, so... <laughs> A lot of confusion ensued about, we all know what, what coursing is and, 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 you know, sort of mildly how it works, some more than others. Um, but we've just, yeah, we've, we've won a pup. We didn't know the breeding, what was going on. We didn't, most of us didn't know what happened. Teresa Cahill, luckily, is is part of the, the 14 that have won a share in the pup. She bought a ticket and, and her and her f- family have, have had success on the coursing field. So she's educating us all as to what happens and what goes on um um so she's she's the, the the font of knowledge basically um and we're all learning a lot about coursing and and what happens but yeah we've got this nicely bred bitch um she's um i think june or july 23 um and we've, we don't know what to do with the trainers or what was going on so uh yeah fun and games what well, i'm sure people will follow this this bitch's progress uh, on, on twitter and stuff and look everyone's buzzing like we everyone's that's involved is excited um to be part of this new journey in in the coursing game. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out for that, not only for the pup but for for Dave's comps as well. So they're always worth a mention.
1: They are um Dave's always doing comps, so make sure you do get involved. Um, just follow him on Twitter. We'll put his link in the show notes. But yeah, good luck Joe with your uh with your coursing bitch. That is going to yeah be endless amounts of fun. I think I I, so. to, you're going to learn a lot at least. So already
2: good. have, already yeah.
1: have in the last 12 <laughs> hours or so. Fabulous. Well, that, I believe, is now it for the news that we've got in the Greyhound world. So we're going to dive into a fabulous podcast all about rehoming with Livy Noble.
2: We are. And just before we get into that, I just say there's no betting this week, so... Uh... The end of the interview will be the end of the podcast this week. I don't want you to all to be shocked and waiting for winners and that, but there's no there's no prizes or comps up at the moment. The Golden Sprint starts, I think, this week, but when we're recording, we've got no, no info. So you're going to have to go without the winners and wait till next time
1: you are indeed sorry about that everyone but um time is precious for joe and i this week and we will be uh, diving into the interview but also be back of course in a couple of weeks time so i hope you enjoy this fabulous interview and uh Libby is very very enthusiastic and a great talker so let's dive in
2: This week I'm absolutely delighted that Livy Noble is with us. She works at the Lincolnshire Greyhound Trust. Livy, how are you?
0: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
2: Yeah, not bad, thanks. All good. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement in, in the sport of greyhound racing for those that don't know.
0: Um, oh, I don't really know where to start but I guess essentially at the moment um, the, the bulk of what I do in fact I'd say 100% of what I do is related to the retirement side and um, finding homes for retired greyhounds. Um, the the branch of the Lincolnshire Greyhound Trust that myself and my sister run is based in Epping and I think we've been doing that for maybe six or seven years now on a um, smaller scale um, than the, the larger kennel in Lincolnshire so regards to my current situation with the greyhounds it's it's mainly about getting the dogs out and about promoting them to the public introducing the dogs that we have in our care to new things that they maybe wouldn't have otherwise experienced and doing everything that we can to try to prep them for their life uh, you know as a retired greyhound uh, you know in a pet setting um so yeah that's essentially what you know dealing with inquiries picking things up um, and i think it's probably worth noting at this point and I'm more than happy to talk through what the days look like for the dogs in our care on a day-to-day basis but Myself and my sister that run the Epping Kennel, we actually work full-time away from the Greyhounds. And so they are looked after day-to-day and I'll explain, of course they are, but I'll explain sort of how that setup works and what goes on there. So it tends to be, you know, day job and normal life in the day. And then evenings, weekends and spare time is consumed with inquiries, support for dogs that are in the home. It literally doesn't stop. It's a bit like a 24-7 job, you know. No one can prep you for that phone call you get at maybe ten thirty PM um, that you're not quite expecting. So, yeah, that's that's where we're at at the moment.
2: Great. Well, in that case, that leaves us on like talk us through a typical week or, or day for you.
0: Um, for me, in regard to the the rehoming of the dogs, I'd say generally it would be easier to start the week at the weekend if I'm trying to talk through what we do because I guess that's that's when we tend to spend the most time. And have the most time to dedicate to the dogs. So once a month, we try to have um, an event for the retired greyhounds. So that will be a street collection. It might be at a local country fair. It might be a you know a local event that's going on. So we'll have a stand there with the dogs. So it'll start quite early. We'll get the van loaded, we'll get the dogs sorted and we'll select in advance which dogs we're taking because we have to work out who we think will cope in those situations. So we'll get that van loaded and, and head off to where we're you know, going for the day and we'll spend the day there speaking with members of the public, encouraging them to come and see the dogs. Whilst we're obviously there to spread the word, it's hugely beneficial for us at the same time to learn more about the dogs because quite often they wouldn't have been in those settings before. So the day will then be spent speaking to people, and you know, just trying to promote the breed and get that awareness out there. Because despite the fact that they are growing, you know, increasingly popular compared to sort of a few years ago, they're still not on the forefront of everyone's minds when people think about getting a pet dog. And then we'll head back and obviously make sure the dogs are settled and sorted and fed. Um, and then it will be a case of potentially sometimes already dealing with inquiries that are starting to come through from the day if we've had a particularly successful day quite often people message us on the day that doesn't mean that they always become homes Um, and then it might be that we might have a home visit to do that evening because we always home visit places before the dog's you know uh, handed over it might be that you know particularly in the summer months when we have the lighter evenings it might be that we've got some kennel visitors to come and meet the dogs that evening or it might just be a case of actually spending a couple of hours that evening prepping and planning the, the posts on our social media and doing all little bits and pieces in regard to paperwork that you don't actually realize take quite a bit of time as well in the background and then again the sunday Will depend on whether we've got visitors to the kennels, whether we have home visits to do. We may decide we want to do some cat testing. So yesterday we did cat testing. We took three dogs to introduce to Nigel the cat. We're very fortunate that we have, you know, a great cat that can, can help us with that. So it really does depend, you know, on the number of inquiries we have at the time and things that are going on. But typically, you know, some weekends can be really jam-packed. For example, last weekend, we had an event on the Saturday um, but then the Sunday unfortunately we had a dog that was being returned so I went to collect the dog that was being returned fortunately he had a new home to go to but that home was an hour and a half from the hour journey that I'd already made so I think I left home at about half seven after sorting my own pet dogs out and then I got back at about half three because of traffic and Sunday traffic so again it it's just those things that take the time that you don't necessarily realize and that's sort of just a bit of an insight as to the types of things that that we're doing in the background so in a way it's quite lucky that we're not day-to-day caring for the dogs too because I I don't know how we'd get it all done
2: (laughs) I bet I bet and you mentioned Nigel the cat there I mean what other preparation does it entail from when a dog comes from a racing kennel to to you to get them ready for for home I I guess it varies dog by dog but um Mm. you know what sort of things do you do there um
0: It's interesting. I don't listen at all to any of the things that the trainer tells me about them. They know this because they always get it wrong. And I think it's very hard. And that's they know their dogs inside out in regard to their day to day life and their racing. Um, But um, we work very closely with Dave Lee. And I'll never forget one particular dog called Sad Steve. Mad, mad keen dog at the track. Uh, A hurdler, I think. And he said to me, oh, you'll have trouble with this one with other dogs and cats. He was the best cat pass I've ever had, lives with a blind cat that would walk into his legs. So like, you know, it's it's really interesting. So for me, I just sort of, within reason, will take on board if there's anything really important that they pass on to me that I think I need to know. Um, such as if one dog's particularly jealous around the kennel and doesn't like sharing, I'm, you know, aware of that. I wouldn't put them in the position where they may be having to share with another dog in the home and I'm just sort of mindful of that. Or if there's dogs that are a bit uncomfortable with particular, you know, their ears being touched or their feet being touched, things like that, that I'm mindful of, or if they're particularly foody and sort of just a bit too full on around food. I'm just mindful of those important things. Um, in the back of my mind for the type of home that might be suitable for them going forward. But essentially, we just try to take them as a blank slate um, and, and see where we go with them. For those that are a little bit more nervous or shy or apprehensive, we tend to take a bit of time with them. And we may not take those to particular events and things that we do purely because we're sort of trying to assess what's right for that particular dog. Um, so, yeah, we we try to get them out and about to a local park, um, introduce them to small dogs. And then if they've shown us good signs, introduce them up up front, closely to a, a small dog and go from there. But it's just about just exposing them to new things and seeing how they react really.
2: Yeah. And then once you understand the dogs, what process? How do you match them with a family again? You mentioned the home visits and things like that, but I I'm assuming you asked the family about their situation and, and their their routine and, and then try and find a dog that suits. Can you just talk us through
0: that process? Yeah, definitely. I think the way that we do things may be a little bit different. And I think there's a couple of factors for that, which I'll explain. So um Where the kennels are based, um, I've mentioned Dave Lee a little bit earlier, but we have um, a block of kennels at Dave Lee's, and so we're very fortunate that he and his team of staff do look after the dogs for us day to day. It's quite nice as well if we're taking on any dogs of his. It's a bit of a home from home, but it's a little bit further away from the hustle and bustle of the, the racing end of the kennel, which is quite nice for the dogs. So what we tend to do is when people reach out to us in the first instance to inquire about rehoming a retired greyhound we'll send them some information about how we operate as a charity a bit of our background and who we are and what greyhounds are like as pets and a little bit about greyhounds and we ask them to have a read of that and think about that information and then if they do feel that they like the way that we operate like what they read in regards to what to expect from having a pet greyhound um we then say to them the next step would be a home visit when we do a home visit we first of all will check if they have got any other existing pets because we need to know. The reason for that is we generally take our own pet greyhound with us to the home visit, because it's important to people to see the size of a greyhound in their home. And it's nice for us to see how they interact with the dog. Um, so currently our pet greyhound, Forrest, he's not so great with small dogs, um, which is new to us because our last two girls were excellent with all other breeds. So we're obviously mindful of that if they've already got an existing medium and below size dog in the home. And obviously if they've got cats, unfortunately, our you know our pet dogs are not cat trainable. So we'd, you know, change things. But we take our dog with us, have a chat with them, understand a bit more about their setup, who's in the home whether there's any children in the home, you know, just things like, you know, we do rehome to people that don't have a garden we, we are open to people that don't have a garden so again it's understanding the setup and the layout there because what we need to do is we need to make sure that we understand all of the expectations for that dog so that we can then decide the right type of dog so for example if we had a particularly shy dog that isn't massively confident and they had to go up and down stairs and it were an apartment in a, a place where there could be noise from other areas that could unsettle the dog we'd know straight away we need a particular type of dog for that home if they've got young children for example we know that we need a dog that's you know not shy and unsure because that wouldn't be right for that dog but we equally need a confident dog but maybe a dog that's not too overconfident and excited to see everyone that they're not knocking everyone flying so it's good for us to meet everyone in the home get an idea of the setup and the setting you know so we home to quite a lot of people that live in, in London, but there are quieter areas of London and busy areas. So, again, it's so important for us to go and meet everybody um, at their home and al- also just make sure that they are genuine and do actually live where they say they live. And it's not just somebody that's just appeared. So the reason that we do that in advance is we like to find out as much as we can about the particular home. We like to also sit there. say to people this is what to expect this is what the process is you know the majority of greyhounds settle in quite well but not all of them do you could have sleepless nights you know there could be accidents they might absolutely wreck your home you know there's lots of things to consider and we don't know it could be the quietest most easygoing dog in the kennels and this is what I always stress to people but complete opposite in the home and vice versa you know my dog that I've just brought home back in August forest oh a nightmare around the kennels the easiest dog I've You know, ever he just walked in here as though he'd always lived here, but I didn't. I didn't know what to expect until he was in the home. So we do that in advance. Um, And the other reason that we do that is again our own particular view. We could be wrong here. And I always liken it to when you're little and you've saved all your Christmas money and you go into a toy shop and you see something. And you want to spend it all at once. And your parents will say, are you sure you want to spend all your money on that one thing? And you say, yeah, 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 I do. I do. Because all you can see is that thing in front of you. You don't care about thinking about, you know, a bit further down the line. You just want to buy it. So what we're mindful of is people coming along to the kennels, meeting the dog, seeing this dog, deciding they want that dog. And you try to say to them, this is something to consider. That's something to consider. It might not be easy, but all they can think is, I want that dog. So we do it in reverse to then say to them, this is what to expect during the settling in process. These are the barriers that you may have to overcome, and it's not going to be easy. Have a think about it. If you do still feel that you want to offer a home to a retired greyhound, great. We'll then arrange for you to come to the kennels and meet the dogs. When they come to the kennels to meet the dogs, it might be historically when we first started, I can't quite remember that the reason we don't do this is because we are within a licensed racing kennel, so it wouldn't be right to have members of the public walking up and down I also don't like that idea I find if you walk up and down a kennel range some dogs will sit at the back of the kennel other dogs will be going crazy and it actually really unsettles the dog it helps nobody and you can't learn anything about a dog by just looking in the kennel it's a completely alien concept so what we tend to do is people will arrive and we'll say to them we've got three or four or however many dogs that we think are suitable for you. We'll bring them out one at a time, take them for a walk further away from the kennels and then, you know, no distractions, have a, have spend a bit of time with them. And then we'll meet you in about 10 minutes or so with the next one. And we'll swap them over at the end of the time that they've met all those dogs. We'll then say, right, what are your thoughts? Who do you like? Do you want to see so-and-so again? Sometimes they'll say, what do you think that gets tricky when there's a number of dogs? I think it's important for them to make the decision, Um, but if there is one I think is a real real good fit I will always you know pass that on to them so that tends to be how we do things and then we'll talk things through and we'll reserve a dog for up to two weeks the main reason we don't do that for any longer we do recognize people have you know work and things to plan around but when we tell people this in advance at the home visit in regard to sort of the timelines that we're looking at and we never pressure anyone to make decisions very quickly but we say at the point you come to the kennels to meet the dogs we will only reserve them for two weeks that you know we're a bit flexible sometimes but we've had a situation way back in the past where we reserved a dog for eight weeks and then he was returned after two weeks for stealing a loaf of bread That's a long time for a dog to see all of his friends go home and then be returned. Um, So it it just didn't really make sense to be hanging on to dogs for long periods of time unnecessarily. That sort of tends to be how we do things. And because we've already done the home visit, if people know they're coming to visit the dogs on a set day and they are ready from that day to take their dog home, again, we talk about this in advance. We have all this planned. There's no reason why on that day that they meet that dog, they can't take that dog home. So we try to give people a plan in advance of, we work to the end point and work backwards to make sure they've got sufficient notice and prep. And then we can do things you know, that way because people say, oh, should we meet the dog more than once? And I always say, "Greyhounds are very accepting. They like people. They're confident generally around people. There's not a massive benefit to saying, I must come back two or three times in a row. The sooner, the better for them. The sooner they come into your home and get settled, the better for them. Um, so that's sort of how we tend to do it. Some people will take their dogs home on the day they choose them because they've already had the home visit and all that prep in advance before
2: wow and then do people keep in touch with you and send you little letters to
0: cover visit yes they do i didn't know if you could hear my dogs barking in the background there sorry about that perfect and they do we we hear back from them all the time which is really nice and um we get lots of videos photos some will come back to the kennels what's also been really really nice is um where we're based and where dave lee is he's got a few british bred litters himself so dogs that have been born at the kennels and um where he um gets food by the pallet a lot of the owners will come back and buy the food and there's one particular um litter where two members of the family have got uh, like litter mates um And they'll go back there all the time to go and see Grandad Dave. So that's quite nice as well. So not only do they stay in touch with us, but it's nice that they have that connection with their their sort of racing life as well. But, yeah, we get loads of of updates, which is really nice. Quite often when we do a street collection or an event um, somewhere, we'll also have lots of our dogs coming along to support us and visit us so that's really nice. Last weekend, we had a dog called Chase in Turkey. He came along. He's quite local to us. So it was really nice to see him. And, you know, his owners come along and support the cause too. So yeah, it's really, really nice.
2: Brilliant. I've, I just off on a slight tangent on your greyhound history last night, I saw someone yeah. that went on a local uh, sighthound walk and, and they were chatting to someone and they were saying how much their dogs looked alike. And it turns out they were litter mates as well. Oh, and they really? somehow made their way onto the same, same area. I think it was Gloucestershire actually. And then, and, and also on the same walk. So it's so good. Yeah.
0: And I think that's really nice. The likes of your greyhound history. I think that's really, really important for owners because there's so many people that are looking out for their, litter mates of their dogs and I think it's been really really nice to give owners that insight into their history an opportunity to talk with littermates mates and so forth so that's really nice.
2: For sure and then just before we 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 started recording you were mentioning about the returns um, of greyhounds and, and how that's gone up in recent times mainly due to, to cost of living is that sort of still going up or is that plateaued?
0: Yeah we have seen a number of dogs that have come back to us for financial reasons and Whilst it's disappointing for us and it's always hard because there's, you know, on the face of it, you think the dog's done nothing wrong. It's not the dog's fault. Essentially, it's really it's the right thing to do because we actually at the end of the day, when we rehome these dogs, we want to make sure they're going to be able to be provided for and have a good life. And it's a really difficult situation for owners to have to give up a much loved pet in scenarios like that. Um, We have had a couple and. It's a real shame. And I think it's really difficult to know whether that's going to level out or it's going to continue. Um, it's hard to say, but we've certainly seen it a bit more. And on the you know flip side of that, I think we are seeing less dogs going home, um, potentially because people are more mindful. Um, you know, personally, I, I lost my two older dogs about a year or so ago. And I already had another dog as well. Also, I had one dog. And just before I brought Forest home, I did think, you know, things are a lot more expensive than they were. I, yes, I lost two older dogs that were costing over £300 a month in insurance alone. But over the course of the year, that gets absorbed into other things. And then suddenly you're, you're paying out for, you know, it's a massive responsibility and commitment. So I don't think we've seen the last of the dogs that are returned for that reason, unfortunately. Um but the only thing that we can do as a charity is just make sure we stay in touch with owners. And I think for us, the most important thing whenever we send any dog home is that if things do not work out or are not working out, the dog must always come back to us. So whilst returns are challenging at times and they're not nice to deal with, I'd much rather deal with a return than, than the dog not be coming back to us and be passed on elsewhere, which thankfully touch wood, I'd like to think doesn't happen we speak to all of our dogs um, most years so on their birthday Mandy and Stowe will give them a call and it's a great opportunity to wish them happy birthday but check in and see how the dog's doing so I think again that's important to keep close and keep tabs on how all of the dogs are doing so that works really nicely for us too. And we have a chat page too. I forgot to mention that. We have a Lincolnshire Greyhound Trust chat page, which we encourage all our adopters to join. And so again, lots of people will share things and it's a nice way of just seeing how the dogs are getting on without proactively having to reach out to everybody. But it's also nice because we like to see what the dogs are doing. So we'll share news about what's going on from the kennel end and the rehoming side. And the owners will obviously um, participate in that too and let us know what's going on um, around the house with their dogs and how they're getting on too. So that's really nice and works well.
1: Now, it sounds like it is very very busy on a day-to-day basis is there anything that um you know the general public can do to support you you know on events or or just through the week do you, do you welcome volunteers to help
0: definitely um I think for us the the key the key thing is when we have events it's so so helpful to have members of the public reach out to us um ideally in advance to tell us if they're coming because it means that we can bring more dogs along so it's more exposure for those dogs and it's also more of an opportunity for us to learn about the dogs so for us events are really really helpful you know all hands on deck is is great and also it's just if people reach out to us and say to us this is what time I've got and this is what I can do it's nice for us to almost build a little bit of a catalogue of support in terms of then we can hand pick and think right this is what we need And this would be great. And it's I have to say, sometimes um, we're a little bit slower in getting back to people when they do offer to volunteer. And it's not the fact that we don't want their help. It's that we're trying to figure out how we can utilise that in the best way. Um, So, yeah, I think if anyone ever has got any time on their hands or if someone's got quite a, a nice, easygoing, confident, small dog that they don't mind, you know, arranging to introduce to some of our greyhounds that that would be great too because that's it's it's practical side of things sometimes it's tricky for us um because we don't have a small dog ourselves so we did used to use my auntie's um little dog ella who is a little white poochon but in recent years I think she's probably just a bit fed up with it she's not the most confident dog herself um and I think it was probably not we didn't overdo it at the time but I think unfortunately we all know what it's like as dog owners you go out and about you can't always guarantee how other people are going to be in terms of their responsibility with their dogs I think she's just had a couple of experiences out and about with other dogs so she's a little bit more apprehensive now so um yeah always on the lookout for uh, a nice small dog that can come on some walks with our dogs for sure and so again that would be evenings or afternoons I say evenings when the weather changes and we have daylight um, or um, weekends would be good for that. So,
1: yeah. And how do people get in touch with you? Do they drop you an email or is the contact page, we can put all this in the show notes as well, but um, how would they, they get in contact?
0: Um, In the first instance, I'd always direct people to our um, website, which is www.lincolnshiregreyhoundtrust.co.uk On there will be Kevin, our chairman's number. Kevin is Sorry, Kev, like our 24-7 contact in that, you know, he does this full time. His mobile number's on there. There's also an email address. Um, the Boston Kennels do have their own Lincolnshire Greyhound Trust Facebook page and then the Epping branch um, do have a Facebook page too and ours is Peaceful Pets Retired Greyhounds the reason we don't have the reference to Lincolnshire Greyhound Trust in the name is because we are not based in Lincolnshire if we had Lincolnshire Greyhound Trust everywhere all over what we do lots of people would be put off by that and not recognise where we are but because we cover quite a large area we chose not to have any reference to the area are in our Facebook page name. So quite often people will reach out in the first instance by messaging the page or contacting Kev and then we go from there. um But you know, we're happy for people to reach out to us in whichever way works best for them. We just would like, you know, if they want to speak to us about rehoming a greyhound, get in touch, whichever way, shape, or form. We do want to hear from you. So yeah.
2: And can you share some numbers of, of how many dogs have been rehomed in, in recent times?
0: Yeah course so this year so far in 2024 we have homed 19 dogs and I think like I say I feel that the, the cost of living has certainly had had an impact on that um last year we homed I've got the numbers here to hand um 97 so it was quite a well quite a quiet year for us so our, our record year was in 2020 where we homed 205 dogs um 2021 we homed 171 2022 we homed 126 and then as i say 2023 was 97 and then 2024 we've got 19 up to today um obviously on that average you'd think that we could be going for about 120 but it's really really difficult to know um overall as a charity we have homed over 2000 greyhounds so that's really nice there's 2436 individual greyhounds that are in homes since the charity started and that isn't dogs that have been returned and home twice that's that number is individual dogs so we don't we don't count it as a, another homing if it's the same dog essentially because unfortunately we do have you know a number of returns like any charity and so that could Actually falsify the numbers if you counted each individual home you find. So that is based on the dogs themselves. Um so yeah, I mean usually this time of year is a quieter time of year. Things do tend to pick up a little bit later in the year, but it's really difficult to know how things will go, unfortunately. I'm I I don't want to sound negative, but I do have a bit of a cloud over it at the moment, just because of the cost of living. Um, but I don't think that's that we can't home more dogs. I think there are dogs being rehomed across the country. They just don't know yet that a greyhound is the dog that they need to have as a pet. So they're, they're looking to home other dogs. So we need to convert those people. So I think there are the homes there, but we need the exposure and we need the people to realize that a greyhound is their next pet. And I think that's our biggest challenge. Trigger is a black male greyhound born in August, 2020. be celebrating his fourth birthday this summer. Trigger is one of the most affectionate and loving greyhounds I have ever met. He loves nothing more than to try and climb and sit on your lap. He doesn't realize that he's now an adult dog that's fully grown and so having a fully grown greyhound trying to sit on your lap can be a little bit tricky at times but it's just because he wants to be close to you and be with you and to snuggle you as much as he can. When Trigger first comes out of the kennel, he can come across as quite boisterous and quite bouncy and jumpy. This soon settles and in the home environment, we think that this would definitely calm down somewhat. In fact, we don't even think it would be a thing as time goes on. He's just so, so excited and so enthusiastic to come out and spend time with people. He just can't contain that excitement when he first comes out. For this reason, because he is quite a large boy, We do also walk him on harness too, to help give a little bit of control. We also find he can be a little bit strong and he's quite a lot of dog when you're out and about in new places at first. This isn't because he's reactive or naughty or anything like that. He's just so enthusiastic and excited to be out. He just can't wait to enjoy everything that life has to offer. Trigger has met a few other breeds of different shapes and sizes whilst out and about and has greeted them politely. He hasn't had masses of interaction with really small dogs, but we do feel that with careful introductions he should be fine. He hasn't been for a cat test, the main reason being he's so excited and enthusiastic, even if he did pass his cat test, we're not entirely sure that cats would appreciate his presence. Trigger absolutely loves children as well. But we're just mindful because of his size, he can get a little bit giddy, so it would need to be children that are accustomed to a big waggy tail and a dog that just wants to love them loads. But we don't deem that he has any malice. He absolutely adores children. In fact, he attended the London International Horse Show with us back in December last year, and we've got a photo where Trigger is not even visible because there are so many children crowding round and cuddling him, and he was in his absolute element we dearly, dearly love to get Trigger at home soon. We can't believe he's been with us a little while now. We think he'll make an exceptional pet. And in the short term, we are possibly going to explore foster options because we feel that this is what he needs because he just can't be in kennels for much longer. He's got way too much love to give. And he's looking for his sofa and his human or family to share that with as soon as he can because it's wasted just having him
2: in the kennels. Which leads us perfectly on to the next question then. Um, what help and support do you need as a, as a rehoming centre from from other, other people or the GBGB or whoever it may be to increase the chances of, of greyhounds getting homed and to promote the breed as a pet? Um,
0: I think there's a couple of things. One of my biggest bugbears and I sound like I'm on a bit of a rant now is um particularly on social media platforms I see so many people from within the industry that are saying homing's really challenging oh I've got this dog that's waiting in the kennel and I really want to find it home and the waiting list is you know however long i've been waiting ages but there's so many people that i've got an opinion on this situation that we're in but don't have a pet greyhound at home themselves but have gone out and got a completely different breed of dog so i'm not saying if they've got an existing dog fine but make your second dog a greyhound. You can't expect people to help you and take your, you know, your dogs home. And you can't, you know, you should be doing your bit as well. And sorry, I know I sound like I'm having a bit of a rant here, but there's a lot of greyhound trainers that will have other breeds. There's no issue with that, have other breeds, but throw a greyhound into the mix as well. Like, you know, help, help things along yourself too. And actually, if you've got a pet greyhound yourself, you will be able to talk to people about what they're like as pets. And that passion will shine through a lot more than if you're talking based on hearsay. I think once you've got one and you can then say to people, come and meet my dog. And all those little things like that will just help sow those seeds and in the minds of the potential owners out there. So I think that's, sorry, I've gone on a tangent there a bit, but that is one of my, my bugbears. bears. Um, in terms of the support from the industry, I think there just needs to be more Done to actually support what's going on. So I think, and I've, we've all said this for years, and I, I don't know what the answer is and why it doesn't happen. But why isn't there a, a national campaign to try and, you know, get greyhounds to the forefront of the general public? I know that there's a lot of TV on demand and things like that, so maybe we've missed the boat for having, you know, something on TV. But I think with the money that there is potentially available that could be utilized how you know what can we do to to promote this further and I have to say initiatives that are sort of you know track based or greyhound racing within based are not really that helpful I think a lot of people within the sport are aware of the situation and the greyhounds do make great pets but we need to get that out and about to the public and I think for me the the biggest challenges are getting that message across. And unfortunately, it's at antisocial times, people don't want to give their weekends up um, all the time to help, but it's those events and it's them opportunities and that awareness and that workforce at the weekends that go to get those dogs out into the public that are really sort of helping. So I think it's, I can't really even pinpoint what the industry could do right now I'm having a bit of a blank to be totally honest, because I feel like we've thrown loads of ideas over the years and I'll be honest, I don't think there's been masses of strides in terms of supporting the home inside of things. There's been cash injections, which I think, you know, the bond scheme's good, the injury recovery scheme's good, no doubt, um, but that doesn't get dogs into homes that gives them more of a security in that time that they're racing and as they approach retirement. And I think one of the things that I've seen a lot is that I think a lot of people from within racing mistook or misunderstood the fact that the bond scheme would mean that there was always a space for their dog to go into a rehoming kill. I'm not sure how that messaging came out because I don't know how that could be the case. I think all it meant was that actually there was more support for the homing kennels, which could mean that they could continue to do what they do because I'll be honest, it's not, it's not cheap. And actually 400 pounds isn't really a lot for passing that dog on and knowing that somebody else will look after that dog essentially for the rest of its life. When you think a, a monthly kennel bill is at least 300 pounds if your dog's resting and maybe on its bed and not running. Um Yeah, I'm not sure what we could do more of as an industry, but I think we all need to... S- just support the breed more and get out and about and spread the word. And rather than talk about it, do something about it, you know, reach out to your local rehoming kennel, see, you know, whether you could help out an event. And yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't know what the answer is. I just know we need to get them to the forefront of the public more somehow. And whether that is from a financial perspective that there's a boost and there's a way of, you know, paying to get some advertising out and about, I think that's, that's, what's really important.
2: Yeah, it's always about money, isn't it? Whenever, you know, we we speak to the GBGB, there's not an endless pot, but I'm just, again, thinking out loud now, Would people be willing to give their bond money if they've rehomed personally or via a friend, and therefore you know they they could tick a box and say I don't want my bond money back, put it towards a a pot to to promote the ground breed in a national campaign or something like that. You know I I don't know because I know money is challenging, but it needs it does need a national campaign I think to promote the ground breed and and greyhounds as a pet because once again you know ground racing is very good at speaking to its own fans and, and engage spectators and participants but it's about getting the message out you know to a, to a wider audience isn't it I think that's what what's needed
0: definitely I think actually you hit the nail on the head about the the bond money I sort of did that myself in a way so my current my first two dogs didn't go through the bond wasn't in existence actually you know they were born May 2011 but my current dog I sort of knew that I'd bring him home sort of I say loosely um and he was fully bonded and I had in the back of my mind that I would take him home but I actually put him into the charity for rehoming first just in case for whatever reason I didn't I mean within a day of saying that I brought him home anyway I could have just you know so essentially you could say I've, I've sort of done that and the bond money's gone straight to LGT, it would have been probably for me as well, more of a headache to actually, I don't even know what the process is to get that bond money back. So it was actually a lot easier to actually allow him to go into the charity. They have the bond money and I've rehomed him. Um, Great. It also means that I'd like to think that this would never happen, but heaven forbid anything were to happen in future for whatever reason, I was unable to keep him. I know I've got that reassurance that he can go back to the charity. He didn't take any of the charity's resources and he came home that day. I did actually say to Kev when I brought him home, I'm not going to be that person that changes their mind, but I need to make sure he's the right dog for what we do. The main reason being... My own pet dog needs to be confident enough to go to home visits with me. I couldn't have a shy or an apprehensive dog or a dog that wasn't sure with people. But realistically, uh, he wasn't really going anywhere. I was always going to keep him anyway. And he was perfect and has been perfect from the off for what I do. But I think the majority of them do settle fine and are fine. Um, But yeah, I do think, I think directing the money and thinking of a good way to use it You know, if there were a pot of money to be used that could benefit all greyhounds, you know, across the country, it would be from an advertising perspective. And then maybe pointing people to say, right, you're interested in a greyhound. These are our GRS approved homing kennels. My other bugbear, um, sorry to make it sound negative, was when the GRS first came out. There needed to be a little bit more policing because there were some anti racing establishments that were taking, you know, having the bond money. And I don't think that's helpful. It's really not helpful. And, you know, if I'm honest, whilst there have been some homing places that are anti that, you know, done brilliant work and found great homes, I'm not debating that. I think sometimes the perception that people have of greyhound racing and a lack of understanding about how the dogs are cared for and treated in their racing days can actually mean that dogs are more anxious when they go home because people misunderstand them all the time. I put a video up once of my dog shaking um, at the train station and I said, oh, what's this dog doing here? Um, and loads of people said oh she's really scared she's petrified she's cold she wasn't she was so excited because she was obsessed with trains and she was just trembling and waiting for the train so I think what's important is educating people appropriately not getting into arguments with people that don't understand racing but actually saying look just give us a bit of your time let us just explain a few things because I think the misunderstanding of these dogs makes their life a lot harder I think because people can then think oh they're anxious about this because this has happened they're not anxious about things like you know I've seen people say oh they're scared of the hoover they're scared of the broom that's just because they've not seen them before in the home and in the kennels yes brooms and mops are used to clean kennels but not around your dog you know your dog will be out somewhere else they've not had to deal with this of course it's alien they're not you know they've not seen that before so I think I think it's important to um make sure that money is directed to the right places and places that actually understand the dogs as well because I think sometimes misunderstanding can can actually have a negative impact on the dogs long long term as well because you have people that are over fussing these dogs and actually teaching them that that thing that they're scared of in inverted commas is scary it's not scary we just need to build their confidence and introduce them into you know to that particular thing that is allegedly a trigger because of something that's happened it's not a trigger it's just a brand new experience um sorry so i've gone on a, off on a bit of a tangent there but i think yeah with the the grs i think it's tightened up a lot now and it is going to the right places but i know that in the beginning and i don't think there was any reason it wasn't anyone's fault i think it was a great scheme and people were keen to roll it out and see as many dogs benefit as possible But I think if there were a national campaign that could point people to a list of GRS approved places, people can then choose somewhere in their area, somewhere they like the sounds of. And then, you know, everyone benefits from that as a whole. And I think that's what's important.
2: Yeah. And the one thing that really winds me up and I cannot get my head around it is... excuse me, people sending their dogs to, to known anti-kennels, that they know that those dogs are going to be used against them and the industry that, that, that you know, employs them by making stuff up. Um, it's just that, short-sighted. It just, it's it just, it, I understand that there's, you know, rehoming spaces are at a premium at the moment and it's difficult, but I just cannot fathom why you would send a dog or dogs to to anti-ground places. Um, it's just crazy to me.
0: I agree. I think it's really short sighted and it helps nobody. I I don't know why people do it. I think it's just maybe desperation to to put them into a homing kennel because, like you say, it is hard right now to get places for dogs.
1: Now we're gonna change tax, gonna talk about uh, racing, because so obviously we know you've got a couple of uh, X races or had a couple of X races at home, but do you actually go racing at all, Liv? If-
0: I haven't been this year I know it's only Feb (laughs) Uh, I think the last time I went racing was back in the summer last year um I used to go a lot more I'll be honest it's just hard because the rehoming takes over and that's not a negative thing but I think on balance if I'm trying to figure out what what's important and how can I direct my time best I I think that's the challenging thing with the rehoming as well, and it shouldn't be like this, but when you're committed to something, sometimes it's hard and you feel a bit of guilt when you take time out to do things for yourself and when you know that there's pressing things that you could be doing. So if somebody said, oh, I'm free on Saturday evening um, for a home visit and I'd thought, oh, I'd like to go racing. I'd sort of have to balance that out as to what I think is most important and when could I do that home visit if I don't do it on Saturday evening, when's the next opportunity and then when would be the next opportunity for them to come to the kennels? So it's it's trying to sort of factor that in and where we haven't actually got any race dogs now, the last one retired um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it feels strange going racing without having a dog but almost quite nice going racing when your own dogs aren't running because you can actually enjoy it. I used to get really stressed, not stressed for any reason, not stressed because greyhound racing is dangerous or anything like that, just anxious because you care a lot about them. And a lot of the dogs that I'd had, I'd had from, you know, a pup and, you know, it was just really weird seeing them race around the track. Like I loved watching them race, but I also preferred to spending time with them. Um, so it was a bit of a weird relationship really with racing with the dogs that, you know, we bred ourselves and had, and I loved it. And I, you know, enjoy going racing. And when I went racing back in the summer, I had a really nice day. Um, it was a really hot day and I have to say, you know, I was apprehensive, hadn't been racing for a little while and took the, the five dogs racing and was apprehensive about the weather and thinking, oh, my goodness, it's a really hot day. But it was brilliant. Like, I'd not been to the track in the summer for a little while. And um, the calling room at Crayford, you know, it was excellent. It was really, really good. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I think at the beginning of last year, I'd said my New Year's resolution was to go racing more. but so that didn't happen. Um, but maybe this year coming, yeah. Um, yeah me and my sister were talking saying we haven't got any race dogs at the moment now and um it would be nice to have one did ring Lee up and say are you breeding from jess can we put our name down for a pup but he said oh that's a while off yet so um so yeah we'll see um i'd like to go a bit more for definite
2: and who have you been your favorite greyhounds over the years
0: as in in general racing or
2: just either racing at home name drop a few
0: um I'd say in terms of race dogs and dogs that I really really liked obviously um like Westmead Hawk comes to mind because yeah he was exceptional and I remember going to the Dumfies and meeting him in person I felt like I'd met like a celebrity so that was really nice um I met a lovely, lovely dog that I never actually saw. met him racing. Um, But a dog that's really stuck in the mind is a dog called Cash and Legend. And we used him um, with one of our brood bitches. Um, And then we actually went over to, to visit um, him with his owners, and he was just a lovely, lovely dog. And then we were very kindly, myself and my sister sent um a bitch pup as a gift from his last litter that he sired. So I think, yeah, he's a special dog to us. And ironically, actually, it's just occurred to me now: Circassian legend was the sire of the litter that we bred. And one of those pups in that litter was a bitch called Special Story. And she's actually the mum of Forrest, my dog that I've got at home now. Um, And the main reason I always knew that he'd come home with me, I wouldn't say he's particularly one of my favourites. Sorry, Forrest. No, he's lovely. I love them all. Um, He wasn't feeding when he was first born. So he was hand reared at home for a week. So obviously I knew that at some point I'd have another greyhound. I was hoping that my two that I had at home which one of which was his grandmother, Elsa, and um, his auntie, Millie, they were litter sisters. I was hoping they'd obviously live forever. Um, They didn't. So I knew that I'd have room for a greyhound again at some point. And so this last litter we had that we bred that were running, I guess it always made sense that the hand rear dog would come back home when he retired. Um, So, yeah, in terms of favourites, personal favorites of mine we had a dog years and years ago we bred called Donut his race name was Connoisseur and I uh, adored him and yeah he was definitely one of my real favorites and then my two pet dogs that I had at home Millie and Elsa special Millie and special release um they, they you know they're quite good on the track won a couple of opens and you know we bred from them both and had great fun with their pups some of them won opens um both very different dogs um but I guess I have to the, the the most you know special dog for me I guess that has brought all of this about um would be their their mum special liberty she was 23 kilo bitch um she won loads of opens for us she was exceptional and yeah we've yeah she was great so yeah there's loads there's loads actually there are loads and there's loads of dogs now you know from the homing perspective that I meet and think I just love this dog he's a great dog or she's a great dog so I really like them all to be honest Um, But, yeah, Westmead Hall was great to watch. Yeah.
1: Who have been the funniest characters? Because I know that, you know, you've got your usual kind of chilled ones or the mental ones, but who are the ones that have been maybe a little bit naughty but have really caught the attention of people?
0: Oh, I would probably have to say, again, don't want to make it about my own dogs, um, but Millie, special Millie, um, she – yeah, just real – funny character in terms of always up to mischief, like knew right from wrong, wasn't naughty ever, but, um, you know, she'd go on home visits and in one particular home, she emptied the bin. Another home, she went and stole the other dog's food. So she was sort of, you know, always up to mischief, um, but, you know, knew what she should or shouldn't be doing, but sort of that sort of sneaky sort of, um, you know, look about her um I'm just trying to think we've there's there's been so many over the years that have just got some like really funny um quirks again not bringing it back to sort of myself but um you know my own dogs rather but again my other pet dog Elsa this stemmed from being racing actually when she was racing as well um she just one day decided she didn't like going in the concrete paddocks anymore so she just wouldn't go and like Dave Lee trained her at the time and I said what what's going on there? Why is she always in the grass paddock? Oh, she doesn't like the concrete ones. She won't go. No, no, it's not worth a battle of She doesn't go in them anymore. So therefore, she doesn't have to. And she was very strong-willed in, you know, her decisions. So, yeah, I, I can't think of any in particular, but there'll be one particular dog. Um, I can't remember now. Flash or Ronnie. And I should know, which is really bad, that I don't know. Um, One that Dave Lee bred. He used to lay down on parade. Um, just lay down and he'd do it you know around the kennels as well and when he went home he'd be for a walk he'd just suddenly lay down not flat on his side just sort of crouch down and just you know um which again unusual and you don't really see it that often um so yeah there's there's definitely been a few literally the more I think about it I could probably reel loads off um but I think my favorite ones are the ones where I get told by you know the trainer or the owner or the kennel staff this dog's crazy it's not going to be good with cats and say actually they're perfect so it's really interesting when you get one perception of them at the track versus what you see elsewhere
2: and then livy i think we'll end on a really good question that we got from uh, kim and chris robertson on, on twitter at porkis is um, 22 what's the biggest barrier that's stopping people adopting a retired racing greyhound that then choose other breeds of dog and then they go on to say can the sport industry and greyhound board better focus focus its efforts to address that barrier or barriers
0: well that's a big question um I think to start with the the first section on what's the biggest barrier misconception um in the respect that when we are out doing street collections and things like that we get a lot of people that will come up to us and say oh I'd love to have a retired greyhound but They have to wear muzzles and I've got children. I'm not sure they'll be great because are they, you know, aggressive. Another thing is, oh, they must need loads of exercise. Therefore, they're not the dog for me. I haven't got loads of time. Another thing is, oh, but I've got a small fluffy dog. They're going to think it's the rabbit and eat it. Or I've got cats. Um, I can't have a greyhound. So there's lots of things there. But I think, again, that just stems back to that whole exposure and getting the opportunity to give people an insight into what they are like as pets and I think if we link that a little bit into um, what we can do as an industry I have lost track of the amount of times I've overheard people within the industry almost supporting some of those claims about the fact that they can't live with small fluffy dogs or cats and saying, Oh yeah, you know, he'd do this. He'd do that. That's not important. That's not helpful. Rather, you know, you know, why not answer that with some dogs can and do live with, with cats because we know they do. Some dogs can and do live with small animals. We know they do, you know, special bingo. We rehomed him a month after his last race. He had quite a good race career and he went home with a house rabbit, you know, that was a dog fresh off the track he couldn't care less so I think sometimes the the barriers are based on misconceptions and not readily finding enough information available quickly enough to hook them in so at the point where on the face of it they think oh I maybe I would quite like a greyhound from what I understand of them but I've got a cat they then look elsewhere but I also think Again, it's just awareness and getting the word out there. People tend to think that they need a lot of exercise and they're not a great pet for older people. They're actually an excellent pet for older people because they're quite laid back. Obviously, not all of them are. They don't need a lot of exercise. And an elderly person is a lot less likely to trip over and hurt themselves from a big dog in front of them than a dog that's running in and out under their feet. Um, So I think the barriers are almost the misconceptions that we need to break down to the general public more and more um and i think understanding and recognizing if you are a home in kennel that don't re-home to people with cats which is fine because not everyone has the opportunity and the means to test in that environment but to be as accommodating as you can and maybe signposting them to somewhere that does rather than lose those owners From taking on the breed, try and point them in the direction of somewhere that could, because at the end of the day, we all know, and I think we'll agree, once you've had a greyhound, you'll continue to have a greyhound because. You recognise the quality, you know, of what quality pets they make and what great dogs they are. So I think the more people we can get having a greyhound by accommodating them as best we can. And even if you as a particular home in kennel haven't got the right dog, just making sure that their dog that they have is a greyhound will definitely help in the long run. How can the industry help? Um, again, just spending the time if you haven't got a greyhound yourself or your greyhound has been reactive to small dogs or cats and your particular dog might not be great in those scenarios just taking the time to learn a bit more about the breed as as a pet overall so that when you have those conversations you're not just speaking from personal experience because you're able to then give a broader view which then make more people recognize that actually a greyhound could be a fit for them um Yes, I think it's tricky to answer how the industry can help. But I think some of the barriers are those things that we've mentioned. Um, And again, misconceptions about they're a rescue dog. And therefore, they must come with a lot of baggage and problems. Therefore, can they be trusted in a family environment because of these triggers and things that might happen? Again, breaking down those barriers. They're not, they're actually a dog where you're probably going to know a lot more As rehomed dogs go, taking on an adult dog, you're probably going to know a lot more about a greyhound and its life experiences that it's had up to that point than you are any other breed of dog that you take on as an adult dog, apart from if it's an adult dog that you know has been brought up by a member of your family that you know happen to know personally. So I think... I think it's misconceptions that then become barriers and I think also we as a, a charity one of our biggest focuses is on you know trying to find fully committed owners we know that they're great pets but it's not always you know easy so for us we're just looking for people that are dedicated to giving a dog a home spending the time to understand you know what to expect as they settle in and then becoming ambassadors themselves for the breed as well so I think again the more dogs we get into homes the more ambassadors there are for for the breed so barriers I'd say barriers I think come back to misconceptions essentially and not taking the time to and or not just not being on the forefront of their mind because of those misconceptions so we just need to break their misconceptions down um and make people realize that a greyhound is the next pet for them not just going along to an all-breed rescue and happening to come home with something um look for a greyhound because there are all different types of greyhounds there's you know they've all got different characters and there will be a good fit for your your setup
1: and just finally the lynx greyhound trust have asked can you ask uh livy when she's going to get her admin up to date please
0: pass later this week (laughs) yes I'm not so good at that bit it's a lot easier to go out and feel as though you're doing more when you're out and about physically with the dogs but there is a lot of admin and I think that's the silent killer and I think that's the thing that people say sometimes do you want us to help you with what about your admin? and I think I just need to do that because the time it would take to get someone else to do it I may as well do it but it's also not the fun part I just prefer being hands-on with the dogs but I know it needs doing Yes, Kev. Noted <laughs> by the end of
1: Feb. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you all have a blast doing what you're doing. Uh, keep up the good work, Livy, and your sister. I didn't. I didn't catch Thank your sister's you. name actually. Uh, Bethia,
0: Beth.
1: Okay, Beth. So it sounds absolutely fab. And um, yeah, as long as we can try and keep getting the the word out that greyhounds are amazing, we'll hopefully ease the burden on the rehoming crisis. But yeah, keep doing what you're doing, Libby. Your passion and enthusiasm has shone through. So thank you for giving up your time to let us know at uh, the world of rehoming.
0: Thank you so much. And thanks for inviting me on. It's been really, really nice to have a chat about what we do. Thanks for listening to Gone to the Dogs, released every other Friday. For more info or to reach out on Twitter, follow at TotallyBetting and at Danny v Jackson. Podcast produced and edited by Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Voiceover by Katie Harvey.